Hello and welcome to Motorsport Week's F1 podcast series, Motorsport Speak, the show where we discuss about the latest that is happening in the world of Formula One. Tom Kent, your host, alongside Nathan Hine, Michael Gillespie and Hannah Pethurk. This week we are building up to this weekend's Portuguese Grand Prix at Portimao. Could Lewis Hamilton make history by becoming F1's first ever pole position centurion? Red Bull looks to be back in the hunt after their victory last time out at Imola. And could McLaren or Ferrari continue their consistency? at the Algarve International Circuit. Hello, Nathan. Hello, Hannah. Hello, Michael. How are we all? Um, not too long since we had Imola, and we've got another race coming up this weekend at Portimao, round three of the championship. Nathan, how are you feeling for it? Yeah, hopefully we'll be in for another fantastic round. 2021 has certainly give us, given us a, a lot to be thankful for with a, a fantastic battle at the front of the grid and plenty of battles throughout the grid. Yep. Hannah, it looks as though that um, Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen's title challenge between the pair looks to be hotting up now. I know we've had only two races, but I think Portimao will be a good opportunity to see um, who's perhaps got the upper hand over the other. And don't forget, we've got Barcelona the weekend after. So we've got two interesting races lining up now. I think three races in, we'll kind of have a lot more of an idea. I think it'll especially kind of kind of confirm what we all know and believe that pretty much Bottas and Sergio Perez are not going to have a hope of the title this year. And I think it will be interesting, especially with Barcelona coming up, having those back-to-back races, see how they're able to kind of adapt to the different circuits, some of the cars, and also how willing they are to bounce back. I think that's going to be one of the interesting things looking at, say, for example, if one of them does end up having a poor weekend because eventually one of them is at some point and how they'll manage to bounce back losing 25 points to the other. So I'm very excited to see the title battle heat up. Michael, it's been a good start to the season for both Ferrari and McLaren with both cars in, from both teams finishing in the points um, in both of the races so far. And you have to say they have to be satisfied um, with what they've done. Uh, definitely shown their speed. They're definitely in a fight for so far best of the rest uh, that probably that third place in the Constructors' Championship because I think Mercedes and Red Bull are probably too far ahead of them. But you never know. Come, They might develop, they might improve as the season goes along and we could see three or four teams fighting for victory again. Who knows? But uh, at the moment, it's a nice little battle between those two teams who have been fighting each other for years. So. Mm-hmm. So having a look at the driver's standings, Lewis Hamilton is ahead by a point over Max Verstappen, 44 points, playing 43. Lando Norris is in third place with that podium finish he got last time out at Imola. He's on 27, then Charles Leclerc in fourth for Ferrari on 20. Valtteri Bottas down to fifth with his crash with uh, George Russell. He's on 16. Carlos Sainz in sixth with 14. He's tied with Daniel Ricciardo, who's also on 14 in seventh. Sergio Perez with that non-point score in eighth, uh, similar, he's on 10. Currently, Pierre Gasly in ninth with his first points of the campaign at uh, Emilia-Romagna. Six points for him. There's Lance Joy in 10th with five. Yuki Tsunoda has two points along with Esteban Ocon. Fernando Alonso on one point. Then it's Kimi Raikkonen, Antonio Giovinazzi, George Russell, Sebastian Vettel, Mick Schumacher, Nikita Maspin and Nicholas Latifi yet to get off the mark. Mercedes lead the way in the Constructors' Championship. They are just seven points clear of second place Red Bull, who have 53 60 points, playing 53 points. McLaren are in third with 41, seven points clear over Ferrari. So like you said there, Michael, there seems to be a battle for 
the Constructors' Championship between Mercedes and Red Bull, and the battle for third between McLaren and Ferrari, it seems to be. Alfa Tauri are only three points in front of Aston Martin. Having said that, Alfa Tauri do have eight points to Aston Martin's five. Alpine are in there as well in seventh on three points. Alfa Romeo, Williams and Haas have yet to score a point so far in 2020. But there is still 21 more scheduled races to come. Now, what we do know is that Portimao this weekend will be staging its race behind closed doors as well. And Nathan, it's a shame that we can't have fans there, but, you know, with the crisis that it is at the moment with the pandemic, you know, it's certainly the sensible option. Yeah, of course, it's a shame not to have fans there. But, you know, with the situation as it is in Europe at the moment, it's it's the only sensible option. And uh, we're, we're grateful to be racing in Portimao for the second year in a row to finally have a Portuguese Grand Prix back on the calendar and hopefully um, at some point we'll, we'll have a, a race in Portugal with fans again um, in the future to be a permanent staple on the calendar. For sure. Um, Formula 1's upcoming Portuguese Grand Prix will be held without spectators owing to ongoing COVID-19 restrictions in the country. The Championship returned to Portugal in 2020 after a 24-year absence as part of the pandemic hit calendar and did so for the first time at Portimao. Its inclusion was initially as a one-off, but Portimao secured a spot on a revised 2021 calendar, moving to the third round of the season. Last year's event, which took place in late October, was one of the few 2020 Grand Prix to welcome fans trackside. But the 2021 Grand Prix will take place next weekend, or this weekend, I should say, behind closed doors. A limited number of local fans who had either received both doses of the COVID-19 vaccine or had recovered from the virus were permitted to attend Formula One's opening round in Bahrain. The most recent event at Imola was held behind closed doors and the situation will be replicated for upcoming rounds in Barcelona on May the 7th to the 9th and Baku on June the 4th to the 6th. Organisers in Monaco are expecting to welcome a limited number of local spectators for its Formula One Grand Prix on May the 20th to the 23rd. Motorsport returned to the Principality on Friday for the first time since May 2019 with action getting underway at the historic Grand Prix. So Hannah, it's, um, you know, it's a shame that fans can't be there in Portugal, but with the news, obviously, with Monaco expecting fans and stuff. But going, let's talk about Portimao because that's where this weekend's race is, um, is at. How, how do you think it's going to go for the drivers and the teams, given that it's a different time of the year of which they're racing at Portimao to what they were back in October? So could there be maybe a few changes in terms of how the drivers handle the um, Portimao track? I think there'll be a couple of them that probably be a bit more, some of them will definitely be a bit more confident, others I think a bit more wary after what happened last year. I think Overall, I'm very excited to see Portimao back on the calendar. I enjoyed it last year, and I thought that it was a good addition overall to Formula 1. I'm gutted that the fans won't be there, but because of the situation, obviously, it can't be helped. I'll be interested to see how much of the gap is between Hamilton, Verstappen up front. It'll be interesting to see where the Ferraris are, because at Imola, I was surprised at their pace. I knew they would be better off than they had been last year after, obviously, the situation with the investigation into their 2019 engine. But overall, I felt that I was, I maybe wasn't expecting Ferrari to be as close up, but overall, overall they didn't. Charles Leclerc was fourth there last year. I think that obviously didn't do, that was tenth, I believe. So overall, I think they'll be a lot closer to maybe Perez and Bottas. I can't see Bottas doing very well at all. I think the midfield 
midfield battle will be probably one of the most interesting, seeing kind of where the Alpha Tyrees end up because they didn't do as well at Imola as they were expecting and as many had hoped, but also seeing where the McLarens are and whether Ricardo can beat Norris because he's having to very much put his feet in and try and beat his teammate as early as possible because soon enough we're going to be a quarter of the way into the season and we can't wait much longer. Yeah. Michael, we saw some great track action at Portimao last year with so many, um, you know, with the mixed conditions at the beginning and then the track sort of um, got into its window where the drivers had to um, get heat into their tyres. And, you know, we, we should be expecting that um, here at this uh, weekend's race at Portimao. And I'm hoping for a dry race because I think that's what the fans want. What do you think? Yeah, it was an interesting race last year with uh, Beefley having Carlos Sainz leading it at, towards the beginning and that incredible start from Kimi Raikkonen going from like somewhere in the late teens on the grid towards something like fifth place in lap one was incredible. Definitely award-winning performance from him then. And, but we'll see what happens there when the conditions are dry. It is a good track at, uh, at the Algarve. You know, you have the... Uh, Fast corners, slow corners, and the undulation as well. It makes a good bike racing track as well, and it does make a good track as well. The, real, the track designers really did their homework when they created it incredibly too. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, Portimao has hosted um, Formula One pre-season testing in like 2008 and 2009. Um, they did some testing there as it was a new track um, being open for any motorsport really. They've hosted MotoGP, They've hosted racing like Ferrari Challenge or something like that. Um, I've seen some of it on the Sky Sports F1. But um, looking at the Algarve circuit, now one of the changes, or maybe a couple actually, I think they've shortened the DRS zone on the start-finish straight, as it was quite you know, a handy DRS zone last year. So they've shortened it this year. And they've added a DRS zone, a second DRS zone, on the back straight between turns four and five. I was a little bit surprised they didn't add that in last year's event. But I can imagine, Nathan, that's going to, you know, help overtaking there very much, especially, you know, if it comes to the last lap, you know, if they can't get it done through turn one, they can get it done through turn five. Yeah, it's a bit of a similar situation to Bahrain, where you get two bites of the cherry, so to speak, down to turn one. And then uh, in this situation between turn four and turn five, and I think that's a, a good change instead of having a longer DRS zone with only the one straight to have, uh, two slightly shorter DRS zones definitely will add to the action and if, if if it comes down to the lead on the last lap you know I think we'll we'll, we'll be grateful for, for those two DRS zones and we can expect lots of good fighting throughout the field uh, throughout the course of the race as a result. Yeah Hannah are you surprised by the second DRS zone or did you see that coming because I felt last year's DRS zone was was definitely too long. It was just definitely too much of an aid to the driver. But now it's been shortened and we've got another DRS zone that's going to make the entertainment that we want to see very much, you know, up there. Absolutely agree. I think I was surprised and not surprised in the sense that I thought that they should have shortened the DRS zone. That initial first DRS zone was far too long. And seeing, for example, quite a few tracks that we'll see over the year is that they seem to favour initially these long DRS zones. And I'm not the biggest fan of DRS in the first place, but if you're going to have it, you can't have it to the point where they can easily just breeze past because otherwise then what's the point? You might as well have two shorter DRS zones, which at least 
gives the ability for the Conflict to somewhat fight the move rather than just land Breeze Pass quite easily. But I was surprised in the sense that Fulmore actually decided to change it. Overall, I think, in terms of entertainment-wise, we're going to have a lot of on-track battles. I can see, especially around the midfield, McLaren's, Aston Martin, Delta Tauri's, even the Ferraris, kind of getting in amongst that battle. And I think it'll be quite heavily a race with a lot of overtakes in it. And overall, I'm extremely excited to see what comes out. Yeah. Michael, it's it's going to make the racing very much interesting, you know, through, you know, the starting straight, through the exit of Turn 4 and Turn 5. And I, I can only I can only think it's going to make the racing better. And um, you know, I think there's a few teams that we want to look out for. Alpha Tari, who weren't as strong at um, Imola as they were in Bahrain, and Aston Martin and Alpine have yet to show their true pace. I would say because I don't think that what we've seen from them in the first two races is a sign of things to come for this year. I still think there's more to come. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, it's. Just- only a case of wait and see and the case of the proof of the pudding is in eating in terms of the change of the DRS for instance. You can see why they changed it because uh, you don't want to make DRS basically too easy for them or have it too short which means there's no overtaking. You have to have that that perfect medium between the DRS, how long the DRS zone should be. That's probably why they're changing it over and over and again just to try and get it just right. So and but uh, I think there's more to come from when you look at the lineups of Alpine and Aston Martin. Aston Martin seemed to have relatively the same car as they had their previous racing point guys, and that racing point team should have been third place in the constructors' championship, despite what went on with that car. And def and uh, you definitely expected more with the the fast charging Lance Stroll and the. Uh, a four-time world champion in Sebastian Vettel, free of his Ferrari wars, but uh, he seems to be languishing in the in the midfields or t- towards the end at the moment. So this could be his chance of redemption. And obviously, Alonso and Ocon at an Alp- at Alpine definitely would would have been inspired with a world champion and Alonso and Ocon, who's pretty much fresh off his podium. Last time out at Sakir still, and uh, I'm sure there's more to come from them, but uh, and Alpha Tauri as well. We saw how quick Sino- your favorite driver, Sonoda, was at Bahrain. You had to throw that in there, didn't you? <laughs> and uh, I think there's more to come. And not forgetting Alpha Romeo, Kimi Raikkonen was unlucky not to get any points uh, at Imola, definitely. And uh, There'll be ones to watch. And uh, Kimmy, you remember Kimmy's first lap last year as well? So hopefully he can try and make it stick this time. Yeah. And Williams as well with Russell, hopefully. They, they definitely should have had points barring the incident with Bottas. Uh, so I think there's still a lot of people with unanswered questions on several determined teams to try and try and get off the mark. For this year, definitely. Yeah, yeah, and uh, just I, I perfectly agree with what you're saying there. And I think um, on a wider circuit like Portimao, you've got um, Williams, Alvatari, and Alvaro who should have perhaps scored more points than they did. Um, you know, at Imola, and I think on a racetrack which we don't. I know we've only just had one race, but I just 
I think the only time I think we'll see accidents is perhaps maybe on that one or two when the cars are all bunched up. But I think as the race goes on, when the race does settle down, we're probably not going to see it as much. Let's go on to some news that's broke out um, at the timing of recording. Today it is, the Monday. Uh, Formula One has now approved the points paying sprint qualifying at three events. Formula One has approved the introduction of Saturday sprint qualifying races at a trio of Grand Prix this year in the biggest shakeup to the format in years. Championship organisers have been keen to amend the structure of the weekend for several years and previously floated the idea of a reverse grid Saturday race at select Grand Prix. This proposal was twice rejected and organisers focused on a different approach for 2021. The overall concept has been in the public domain for several months, but the finer details, including the financial implications, have been under discussion between teams and championship officials. The amended format has now been ratified, and while precise locations have yet to be outlined, it is set to take place at Grand Prix in Britain, Italy and Brazil this year. The usual qualifying format will be shifted to Friday afternoon, with spring qualifying taking place on Saturday. After a second one-hour practice session, uh, after a second one-hour practice session, a race of length of length approximately 100 kilometres will take place, with the outcome determining the grid for Sunday's Grand Prix. Three points will be awarded to the driver in first place at the end of sprint qualifying, with two for second and one for third spot. We are excited by this new opportunity that will bring our fans an even more engaging race weekend in 2021," said Formula One chief executive uh, Stefano Domenicali. Seeing the drivers battling it out over three days will be an amazing experience, and I am sure the drivers will relish the fight. I am delighted that all the teams supported this plan and is a testament to our united uh, efforts to continue to engage our fans in new ways while ensuring we remain committed to the heritage and, and meritocracy or meritocracy of our sport. FIA President Sean Tock welcomed F1's move to seek new and exciting ways of engaging new and existing fans. I am pleased to see that Formula One is seeking new ways to engage with its fans and enlarge the spectacle of a race weekend through the concept of spring qualifying. It, is, it was made uh, possible thanks to the continued collaboration between the FIA, Formula One and all of the teams. F1 has shown itself to be stronger than ever with all stakeholders working together in this way. And much has been done to ensure that the sporting, technical and financial aspects of the format are fair. So it's finally been approved, guys. Sprint qualifying sessions, it will be at Silverstone, Monza and into Lagos, unless we do get a change of schedule um, due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Hannah, we begin with you first on this. What's your reaction to the idea now, now that it's all in place? I feel like I'm going to be the person that rains on everyone's parade, but I'm not a big fan of it. I The one thing I will say that I do like is less practice sessions for me is that's one of my biggest bugbears with one's current setup is they practice so much to some degree they know the track almost too well especially if it's a track they've been to for several years so I like the idea of having two practice sessions I like having the qualifying on Friday but I just can't see the sprint qualifying thing working out in the way Formula One hopes it will is ultimately they want more of a battle between the midfield and the top teams and things to be a lot closer together but you're still gonna have a situation of it's a hundred kilometers distance third of the uh, traditional um 
meant for Grand Prix. But the fastest cars are still going to be the fastest cars, whether they are a short race distance or a long race distance, you're still going to have like some Mercedes, like Red Bulls, and Ferrari, possibly somebody pulling forward from the rest of the pack. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the midfield teams, especially those kind of baying around the points positions. Will they put a risky move in, get that higher position for qualifying for the Grand Prix? Or will they play it more conservative in the hope that something around them happens? And I think it'll only end up being interesting. Ultimately, if the drivers make it interesting, if they are fighting out for those positions and someone does have an incident on the Saturday and crashes, then it becomes interesting, say, for example, if Lewis and Max take each other out at the start of the sprint qualifying and we then have two of the championship contenders right at the back having to fight their way through. But overall, I can't see the premise working out in the way Formula 1 hopes it would. For me, as much as I get why they don't like reverse grids, I feel like reverse grids are better in that in the sense of that you would have a lot more teams fighting more closely because you would force the championship leaders to fight through. The one the thing is the points situation. I get why they've done it. But all it's going to do eventually is we can, for most races, I reckon we could predict quite accurately who are going to be the top three in that sprint qualifying session. And all it's going to do is extend the gaps of the top maybe four or five between the rest of the pack. So I think it's a bit of a cop out, to be honest. And I wish they'd gone back to the drawing board. Yeah. Michael, what do you think? I mean, Hannah doesn't necessarily back the idea. Do you back the idea of this sprint qualifying or not? I'm kind of siding with Hannah on this on a few issues as well. I mean, there's the issues of uh, grid penalties as well. Will they be applied just for the uh, for the uh, for the qualifying race? Or are they going to be applied for the main race? There's always the question of them, and there's also the question of the point system. I mean, uh, it. If, say, uh, someone wins the championship by a few points because they had those points, uh, the three points for the for the win in a sprint race, they could pay dividends because having uh, qualifying different in different parts of, of the season is always risky given that because you want the you want the championship to be consistent in a format like obviously definitely I mean they have changed qualifying setups before but they didn't really make much difference like the uh like the countdown qualifying you may remember they changed that after two rounds but reverted to the original and of course the aggregate qualifying they changed but that didn't make much of a difference this kind of does make a difference because of the point system and but you can see why they did they wanted to increase the sort of spectacle for the fans you know having qualifying which which will matter on fridays you know and saturday sunday the races yeah and nathan this is going to be the first time where we have a formula one qualifying session since 1995 and yeah it's going to be a new thing for all of it. i mean michael was still uh, was still alive back then um but how are you feeling for spring qualifying because we've seen what what michael's mentioned about the the 90-second elimination qualifying thing we had in 2016. We had the aggregate qualifying in 2005. We had it for the first six races. For something as radical as this with the sprint qualifying, is it going to really solve more of the problems in terms of the entertainment for the fans, or is it going to create more problems? Well, I don't think it's going to solve any of the problems in terms of the competitive nature of Formula 1 or the lack of competitive nature between 
all of uh, the, the teams. Um, but what, what I would say is we needed a change. You know, uh, we've had this qualifying system in Formula One since 2006, the same session, race after race after race, apart from the elimination qualifying, which was a joke at the start of two, 2016. Um, it's been the same system. Um, um, we can we can all debate what what is the right system, but I think it is good that they've decided to do something else. It might not be the right system, but at least they've decided to try something. Let's let, let's see how it goes. Let's see how these three races go. Um, I think it is absolutely right. Uh, I agree with what Hannah said in in terms of the drivers is, is going to make this system work if it is going to work. So let's let's see how how much they're going to fight. Let's see if if they're up for it and how competitive um, the the teams are to each other. Uh, luckily, it, it, they decided to run it this year where Mercedes and Rebel are relatively close together compared to last year. Um, but I think we need to see, see how these three rounds go and then uh, take it from there uh, next year. And if, if the system works, then roll it out for future races. Yeah, we need to know your thoughts, guys, on this um, spring qualifying um, thing, and we'll um, we'll show your thoughts in uh, in next week's um, podcast as well. So, in terms of what I think with um, spring qualifying, I'm very much sat on the fence of it because I like the idea of having a Friday qualifying because at least that's something we could be most certainly hyped up for. You know, especially with the Formula One cars, because we often see Formula Two qualifying on the Friday, Formula Three qualifying on the Friday, or from the regional on the Friday. Um, it's it's good to see that they've moved the spring the qualifying schedule to the Friday, so it brings in new fans, providing there'll be fans at these um, events at Silverstone, Monza, and and in um, Brazil. But I just don't know whether it will be a long term thing. I can only see it being a trial thing at the moment, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I just want to have a look at um, other news that are, have been taking place in the last um, week or so. Let's have a look at the 18-inch tyres thing at Imola, because um, Hamilton got a taste, or a first taste of the 18-inch tyres at Imola um, last week. Reigning Formula 1 world champion Lewis Hamilton returned to track on Tuesday of last week to carry out, uh, carry out running on Pirelli's 2022 prototype tyres at Imola. It marked Hamilton's first appearance on the 2022 prototype tyres. Hamilton completed 130 laps, just over two race distance worth of running in dry and fine conditions in the Mercedes W10 at the home of the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix. Valtteri Bottas is due to take over running for Wednesday's test day, which he did so. Formula was set to introduce the larger specification rubber for this year, but its debut was delayed by 12 months due to the pandemic. Pirelli, which last month secured an extension of its current exclusivity deal through 2024, has been preparing for the switch for several years. The 2021 programme is due to continue with a two-day test after next month's Spanish Grand Prix with Alpine, Red Bull and Alfa Romeo in attendance. Further tests are planned after Grand Prix in Austria, Britain and Hungary, while French venues Paul Ricard and Magnicor are also due to host test days. As per the regulations, Pirelli formulates the run plan and shares data between all teams to ensure no one participant gains an unfair advantage. Williams is the only team that's opted not to participate in the test days. So we've got our first glimpse. I mean, we saw some fans footage of uh, Lewis Hamilton doing some donuts actually around uh, Aka Milleralia Imola on those uh, 18 inch uh, tyres 
um, which is due to come in for next year. It was meant to be this year, but it's been put back another year because of the pandemic. Michael, your reaction to the idea? Have you seen any of the footage with the cars on the, the Form 1 cars with the 20, uh, 2022 prototypes? What, what did you make of them? Well, we kind of discussed the the tires in detail in a previous episode, certainly, I think, and I think I was actually on that one, in fact. So uh, my 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 reaction is still the same. I haven't seen the footage or anything, and this whole thing was just news to me just now. But uh, still, it's just uh, obviously we knew we know they're coming. The wider tires, which means uh, obviously better. Wetter grip, which means cornering speeds will be better and uh, they'll last longer as well. So there are some advantages with the uh, lighter tyres for sure. But um, it won't be much of a major change. And I think uh, the drivers and the teams will find it as a blessing, really. But uh, Pirelli could obviously create them. So they'll uh, so they'll sort of go off just as the same as the previous tyres because uh, they know how to do that. They did that with these tyres a while back, sir. But... Uh, but we don't know how we probably have to see come next season how well the tires will be given those circumstances. Yeah, Nathan, your reaction to the eight inch? Obviously, you're very familiar with them with what you've seen in Formula Two this year and last. This time on a Formula One car, does it suit very well? Because I find it very, very fancy. Yeah, yeah, it's quite, it's quite nice to to see the bigger tires in Formula One, and it makes sense in terms of having the 18-inch in Formula 2 and now uh, having them in Formula 1, it, it makes sense for the drivers coming up. It's kind of what, what they're used to this year. And in terms of the racing, let's let's wait and see. Uh, we, we don't want to go back to a situation where it's kind of easy one-stops where they're just flat out throughout, but we don't want tyres to wear off and, and managing their, their tyres uh, too much so hopefully the the tires create decent racing and at the end of the day if, if that's what happens then oh, i'm all for it so yeah that's the, the let's see what happens in terms of the racing next year hannah your thoughts on the, the test that um i think hampton did and uh, bottas did as well and uh, i have to say it does suit <laughs> and the, the fans got a good glimpse of it at akamina rally i have to say it was very exciting to see yeah i have they did look really good on Hamilton Bottas's car. I thought they suit the size of the car well. I think overall, I'm excited to see what they're like. I do. I agree with Michael on this that they should hopefully allow better racing in the sense that they'll have more grip, be able to push a bit more on the tyres because I think that is the difficulty. Difficulty that we have seen with the tyres in recent years is drivers are a bit too conservative on them because they're trying to stretch out it's impossible to avoid two stop and then ultimately we lose out on some of the great racing. The thing that did surprise me though is the fact that Williams opted out. I would have thought, given the big push towards the, tw even though it's the 2021 car and it's not going to be the car they're using next year, they've only had a limited test run with the car. I would have, to be honest, jumped at any opportunity if I was Williams to get as much mileage in. Even if it's only for a tyre test, it still gives you some idea and yes, the data is shared with all of the teams so that no team is at a disadvantage, but you still don't know how your car reacts to them. And I think that is the strangest part. The only thing that does concern me, but it's not necessarily just about the tyres, is how I think it was best example, example I did Imola 
was how big the Formula One cars have gotten now and how they are too big for a lot of the historic tracks these days. I don't think the 18 inch tires are going to help. Overall, I think Formula One needs to go back to possibly a smaller model. But it'll be interesting to see how the 2022 tires interact with the 2022 cars. So I'm cautiously optimistic, I would say. Yeah. I mean, the cars have got bigger. There's no doubt about it. I mean, if you compare the, those cigar-shaped 1950s that were at the historic Grand Prix event in Monte Carlo at the weekend, you know, the difference is night and day. You know, <laughs> they've, they've evolved so much. You know, you, you don't even need to ask, you know, the likes of Sir Jackie Stewart or um, or even Peter Brooks. Peter Brooks, I think, back in those days was obviously... Uh, or Tony Brooks. I can't remember if it's Peter Brooks or Tony Brooks. Either is either of those two. But, um, but yeah. I, I like the idea of the 18 inch. Um, hopefully we'll see more of it in the upcoming tests throughout the year. So, and I think when we do get to the first race of next year or even pre-season testing, it's almost like we're watching almost the same cars, although they won't be the same cars. It's just, we're almost forgetting that they are running the 18 inch tires because we've been so used to the 13 inch um, for so, so long. Other news guys, and some good news for Japanese fans is that Formula One has extended Suzuka's Japanese Grand Prix deal through to 2024. So Formula One's Japanese Grand Prix will remain at Suzuka until at least 2024 after a new three-year contract extension has agreed. The figure of eight, Suzuka owned by Honda, first joined Formula One's calendar in 1987 and has been the scene of several iconic title showdowns. Its current contract, signed in 2018, was due to expire at the end of the 2021 season, but on Saturday an extension was announced to cover the next three seasons. I'm truly delighted that Formula 1 will continue to race at Suzuka Circuit for another three years, said Formula 1 CEO Stefano Di Venicali. Japan holds a special place in the hearts and minds of F1 fans all over the world, and Suzuka has played host to many of the sport's most legendary moments. The Japanese Grand Prix has always showcased gripping edge-of-your-seat drama, and I am thrilled we can continue to bring the action and excitement that is Formula One to the passionate motorsport fans of Japan. This extension is part of our long-term commitment to growing the sports in Asia. We are pleased to be able to continue our successful relationship with promoter Mobility Land. The renewed deal comes in the wake of Honda supporter youngster Yuki Tsunoda becoming Japan's first representative on the Formula One grid since 2014. As a result of repeated negotiations with Formula One, we have been able to conclude a contract on hosting the event from the year 2022 and onwards, said um, Kaoru Tanaka, president of Mobility Land. We'd like to express our sincere gratitude to Formula One members, including first of all Stefano, for the great understanding that was shown during the negotiations. We are determined to continue to do our efforts together with local residents of Mir Prefecture and Suzuka City so that Suzuka Circuit will continue to be loved by fans all over the world and contribute to the prosperity of the motorsports culture. This year's Japanese Grand Prix is currently scheduled to take place on October the 10th. The event did not run in 2020 due to the pandemic. Fantastic, new guy fantastic news, guys. Suzuka continues to be hosting Formula One, not just this year, but the next three years. Nathan, how are you feeling about that? Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic to hear that the Japanese Grand Prix will continue to run for the next few years after all the announcements of, of these new tracks, as, as good as they are, it's, it's great to uh, ensure that we have the, our core tracks, our core venues on the calendar, and Suzuka is definitely one of them, uh, along with, of course, historic tracks in Europe, and in the Americas and Brazil, you know, 
having Suzuka on the calendar is fundamental for Formula One with a huge heritage and culture, especially uh, regarding Honda, you know, and uh, how well they're doing at the moment with, with Red Bull and then looking forward to the future. Uh, Yuki Tsunoda has shown himself to be a, a very capable racing driver and a potential star. So to have a Japanese Grand Prix, I think, is very important for, for our sport. Very much so. Hannah, and are you excited for Formula 1 continuing racing at Suzuka? Because I most certainly am. I mean, the only thing is, it's, it's an early morning start for all of us, but for the Japanese fans, it's what they want. They want Formula 1 to be racing at Suzuka. I would joke, Suzuka is one of the few tracks that I love to get up for, and I do not mind how early the race is, because I just think, even though it's halfway around the world, but it's in the UK, is it's such an incredible track, so historic, so prestigious, and Every time they go there, something always happens. It's always interesting. I remember back in 2012 when Kamu Kobayashi got a podium, I think, took everyone by surprise. And it was one of those moments that looking back that was very heartwarming because everyone was just rooting for him. And it's nice to see the fact that we've got the iconic tracks such as Suzuka staying on the calendar. That's the one thing that does concern me about the future of Formula One is the move away from traditional tracks if you look for example with Interlagos there's a possibility that they might not have their contract removed and they were going to build I don't know if it's been completely cancelled now but they were going to basically build a track in the middle of the Amazon rainforest and I just think Formula One's pushing to all these new places and it's incredible to go and have a race in Miami to bring in new fans but ultimately Formula One needs to keep an eye on its fan base that have been there decades and over all those iconic tracks that very much sum up what it is what Formula One truly is and I worry sometimes that they are moving away possibly too heavily towards street tracks and new circuits rather than the old ones because across say a 21 race season you need to have a variety otherwise what makes Formula One any different from any of the series if it doesn't have that level of track variety but I'm excited to see it I think the Japanese fans are some of the best where you can tell how much they love the sport when they come in and they've got all the different costumes. I remember someone had a rear, a rear wing of the McLaren Honda on the head and I just thought, this is what Formula 1 means to me. And I'll be excited to see Yuki Tsunoda there as well because obviously young Japanese talent has a very bright future ahead of him. So overall, I would say I think Formula 1's made the right decision and I can't wait to go back to Suzuka. And not to mention that Red Bull and Avatari are running Honda engines and with the competitiveness of their car as well. You know, should they win at Suzuka, you know, it'd be the first time for a Honda powered car to win at Suzuka, I think, since 1991. So 30 years ago. Michael, how are you feeling about the new deal? And are you happy for Suzuka to be signing a new contract? Yeah, there's a lot of history in Suzuka, you know, with the likes of the battles between Senna and Frost and obviously and obviously Schumacher winning his championships and Murray Walker getting a lump in his throat. Um but yeah, of course, and a lot of, of history. And it is a good track at Suzuka, very fast flowing and uh, always provides a lot of action and um, import. And, Jap and Jap 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 Japan, sorry, always loves his motor racing. Yeah. Super it always likes its motor racing, really. They are so, they're like, they're like the Italians in a way. They're so passionate and, you know, they have. Uh, it was always a good atmosphere itself, and obviously, 
And obviously, going into the future, you know, with Yuki Tsunoda back with a Japanese driver back on the grid and with Honda getting their mojo now and having two competitive teams on the grid, certainly. But uh, it may be their last year in the championship, though, but uh, the technology will live on in the hands of Red Bull, at least. So given a couple of years, the fans will be thinking, deep down, that's a Honda. So uh, the, the future future certainly looking bright for Japan. Yeah, I should think so too. And um, I think some people don't realise how passionate the Japanese are really are for, for Formula 1 until they have actually gone there. I mean, there were plenty of fans there in the um, Super Formula race that they just done at Suzuka at the weekend. And, um, you know, and when you watch, even when you watch the Super Formula cars around there, it looks incredible. And that's the kind of thing that Formula 1 needs. They need to have that element of velocity of going around the S's, going around um, the uphill left corner. I forgot what the name of that corner is. It's the one before Degna, um, I'm trying to think of. Through Spoon, through 130R, through the famous Casio Triangle where Senna and Prost had their coming together in 1989. It's just, it just brings back memories. It just As soon as you step into the Suzuka racetrack, the history just soaps up inside you. And it's like with Imola as well. So Formula 1 going back to Suzuka once again for another three years after this. Fantastic to see. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Love it. Um, on to some other news. It's, an, it's another thing to do with the calendar again. It's to do with F1 um, having to, is going to be splitting the US events on a planned 23 race 2022 calendar. Now Formula 1 will keep its rounds in the United States separate on a 2022 calendar that is set to feature 23 events. The championship announced on Sunday that it had concluded an agreement to hold a Grand Prix in Miami through to 2031. It's set to be in addition to the United States Grand Prix, which has been held in Austin, Texas, since 2012, though the event's current contract expires after 2021. Austin's event has been held in late October, early November, and has been twinned with Mexico City's Grand Prix since 2015. Formula One chief Stefano Domenicali confirmed that we are figuring out 23 in terms of the number of events planned on next year's schedule. Domenicali also outlined that Miami's inaugural Grand Prix will take place in the second quarter of 2022, meaning pairing the event with Canada's race, which usually occurs in early to mid-June, is a likely outcome. It also means the Hard Rock Stadium, where the Miami race will be held, avoids any risk of a clash with the NFL regular season, which runs September through to January, or the Miami, uh, Miami Open tennis tournament scheduled for late March, early April. I'll let F1 handle the calendar and the schedule, but we're happy to have a race in Miami, said the event's managing director, Tom Garfinkel. We think this can be a destination race for our fans, and we really want to make it a destination race for teams and drivers. And one of the marks on the calendar that they really look forward to all year, and that's the goal. So whenever that is, and however that fits in the schedule with the other races, we'll focus on Miami and try and accomplish those goals. So we are expecting to see two races in the US on the same calendar in 2022, one in the sort of June period and one in the sort of October, November period. But I'm really happy because, you know, back in the days, Hannah, when we had Montreal and Indianapolis as a back to back, Montreal one weekend, Indianapolis the next. It's going to be pretty much the same with Montreal one weekend and Miami the next. And I'm really excited for it now. Yeah, I actually. I'm not. I say the greatest fan of Miami Circuit. I've got a couple of doubts about it, but overall, I think the way they are going to set them up as the back-to-back -back races, 
and then having Coco as well, I think would work quite well. Because that is my one worry. I get why Formula One does it, that they would go, because there are these countries that are quite geographically close together. It's why we have, for example, the European season and why we go normally from Australia back to Middle East and back through to China in terms of saving money. But it sometimes does take away from the atmosphere of having that kind of niche thing of a big flyaway, of a big destination. And I think the way that they are from it should hopefully work well. I was surprised they didn't actually go down the route of alternating Cota and Miami or alternating Cota with another track, because I'm not going to lie, I'd really like them to see them do maybe an Indianapolis circuit, but I think that's a pipe dream for now. But overall, I think Miami should be definitely very interesting. And overall, the calendar, I think, will suit it quite well. But it is that thing, it's, it's going to have that kind of street track vibe. The I did read somewhere that they were comparing its similarities to that of Albert Park in Australia. And that's probably the one circuit in my mind you don't want to be compared to because I'm not the greatest fan of it. I think it will also add the big thing about the Miami Grand Prix will be the spectacle of it is you're going to be in a major sports area, lots of teams, lots of publicity. It's going to be kind of, for me, America's Monaco in the sense it's going to have that glamour, have that celebrity aspect. And it'll be interesting to see how the drivers cope with it and how maybe Americanized the race will be. Because I remember back in Cota a few years ago when they had the announcer giving the... Um, oh, Michael... Is it for, uh, the foot, uh, for the American... No, it's for um, yeah. Michael... When they do... I forgot his surname. Michael, yeah. Michael. Yeah, it's Michael. And that was a... Yeah. Yeah. I know we... of, I thought, oh my god, I'm gonna hate this. But overall, I quite like how they do it in that sense. If you if you're going to have a Grand Prix, you've got to make it your own, you've got to make it unique. Like for example, Suzuka, we all see how passionate the Japanese fans are, and it makes the race. America are gonna do it this way and make a big spectacle of it. I'm very excited to see yeah. how it goes out. Michael Buffer is the name of the American announcer you were after there, Hannah. I've just researched it for you. And Michael. Gillespie, that is. Um, how are you feeling for Miami? You know, with um, going on, well, the weekend potentially after Canada, I think that's a good side for Formula One because now we've got two races that they're going to who are close together rather than just going to the one. On the track, I thought, I kind of think I kind of liked it better than Hannah did looking at it because uh, it's got kind of quite like uh, some tight, Corners. I think it's kind of similar to uh, to Yongnam in a way. It's got some fast bits and some twisty, turny bits as well. But I think it's got the potential for free DRS zones as well, where overtaking can occur. Uh, and in terms of the city of uh, Miami, I haven't actually been to Miami, but I've been to Orlando as a kid, as a lot of people did when they were kids, uh, certainly. But uh, it's a love. It's gonna. It looks like a lovely city. I mean, you got the beach. You got, you got the landmarks in it. You got, you just got uh, everything as well. And you got Key West and the south of of Miami as well. You got Fort Lauderdale as well. I mean, you got a, an incredible location to host a Grand Prix certainly. But uh, having a and it would probably. For such a big country, passionate country as USA, to have raced in the wet in the north in the east coast as well as uh, would you count Austin in the west? I don't know, but certainly yeah, well, it's in the south. Because Texas uh, is south of, um, of the US. 
Yeah, certainly. Uh, but uh, in two different parts of the UK, they love their motorsports in the US, you know, with NASCAR and IndyCar as well. And um, obviously, F1 wants to capitalize on that. And uh, we don't mind. Uh, we don't mind it. Let them, for instance, cycle. Nathan, your reaction to the addition with Miami, and it's, in my opinion, if you were to consider the what Miami hosts, you know, the NFL campaign from September to January, and then the Miami Tennis Open from March to April, it's only convenient that they put it in the June slot next to, um, you know, the Montreal race. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a good addition to have the two North American back-to-backs, because it never really made much sense to have the North American racing in Canada in halfway through the European season. So at least they've got some sort of back-to-back. Uh, as you said, back in the day, they used to have uh, Canada and then Indianapolis. It's a similar sort of vibe. And they, it's good for Formula One to have two races in the United States. It's such a big country in order for Formula One to really uh, get representation, to, to really get um, almost like a footing in terms of their motorsport pedigree in America with a huge NASCAR and IndyCar culture, we need to have at least uh, two races there. But on on the circuit itself, I'm not uh, the biggest fan. Doesn't seem like there'll be too many overtaking opportunities. And it is, once again, a track that is going more towards a street venue rather than a more traditional uh, Formula One track. So uh, for for me, there, there seems to be too many street tracks on the moment in Formula One and if if you want a, a, a series that has lots of street venues, then there already is one called Formula E. So, you know, you just need to establish what Formula One truly is about. And that is about having the, the best tracks in the world with the best cars in the world, with the best drives in the world. I'm not quite sure this is one of the best tracks in the world, but there we go. Uh, let's, let's, let's see what happens when we go there into a proper Formula One race, but yeah, I'm a bit sceptical at this stage. Um, and I remember Sat Brown saying, um, I think it was uh, today he was um, he was talking about this, and he thinks that um, Austin and Indianapolis should alternate. I'm just trying to find the article at the moment. I think it came out um, today, as far as I know. Here we go. Look, yeah, it came out just a few hours ago uh, before the timing of this um, recording. And it's the US Grand Prix, and Zach Brown thinks, McLaren CEO Zach Brown has suggested that the United States Grand Prix should rotate between Indianapolis Motor Speedway and this circuit of the Americas. Indianapolis Motor Speedway played host to F1 for eight races from 2000 to 2007, while the sport was absent from the country until the purpose-built Cota in Austin, Texas joined the schedule in 2012. F1's long search for a second US event came to fruition last week as a 10-year deal was struck with Miami City Council, which will see a street circuit located at the Hard Rock Stadium in Miami Gardens. Brown believes F1 could reach an even wider audience with three venues in order to maximise the potential to secure a solid grounding in the US. I voiced my opinion to F1 CEO Stefano Domenicali that I think Indianapolis should have a Grand Prix, Brown told the Indianapolis Star. I think I'd like to see in America three Grand Prix, but the schedule may not allow for three. I'd like to see one permanent one and then maybe a rotation then you get three markets and you keep the enthusiasm and the excitement if you have a little bit more um, scarcity. 
austerity, however you pronounce it. I think Myanmar needs to run on an annual basis, but now that Kota has been built, I don't know if it needs it every year. In Indianapolis, because it's built, I don't think it needs it every year. So I could see a scenario where you went to up Miami and you rotated Austin and Indy. I think it'd be great. I think everyone wins. Under the stewardship of Roger Penske, the idea of Formula One returning to IMS has been raised and a brief statement was released by the circuit affirming there continues to be mutual interest in an F1 race at the IMS. We're open to further dialogue and time will tell if there's an opportunity that works for everyone. Brown also floated the idea of running a joint event between Formula One and IndyCar where he also runs a team. I think if you put all that together, it would be very successful as it was, but then it started to taper off, added Brown. That tapering off might, might stop or lessen, and you've got Roger, who's a great promoter, and maybe you run IndyCar as part of it as well. I think it'd be great for IndyCar. There's magic that can be worked there. Nathan, would you want Indianapolis to be alternating with Miami? Because I'd be... Um, not with Miami, um, with Austin, Texas. Would you want Austin and um, Indianapolis to alternate? I think you need to be a bit careful about Form 1 going back to Indianapolis. You know, of course, uh, quite a checkered history, especially after what happened in 2005. So um, I think we need, we, need, we need to be careful. Of course, if you try and expand the market, I'm all for that. You know, I think... Formula One needs to look at the calendar more generally and see what kind of twin tracks we could potentially hook up with, with so many potential venues being muted at the moment. You know, so there's, there's just not the space. And if you want to keep the traditional tracks and expand the calendar, then having races which alternate is a good idea. Whether Formula One would want to go back to Indianapolis, whether that, that would be a good idea to alternate with Austin, we'll have to wait and see. It's definitely an option. But yeah, I, th I think we need to be careful uh, about going to that because uh, it's still very much uh, uh, known and remembered by the American fans. And uh, perhaps they might not take too kindly about Formula One going back to Indy. Yeah. My argument to that is, you know, it was a Michelin tire debacle in 2005. With every driver now is in, uh, has got Pirelli tires on their car in Formula One in 2021. Hannah, your reaction to Nathan's point there, is Indianapolis a good idea to be alternated with Austin? And what is it that needs to be considered before Indianapolis gets the green light? I think it's definitely the most logical suggestion of uh, alternating between Cota and with uh, Indianapolis because they have more of a similar vibe than say, for example, Miami and Indianapolis would. They cater to kind of two different markets, I would say. Miami caters to more kind of glamorous side of motorsport, whereas for me, Indianapolis and Costa go for the more traditional kind of harder style of racing. I do agree with Nathan in the sense that as much as I would love to have it back, they would have to tread extremely carefully because there is a toxicity there because of what happened, even though it was a Michelin tire debacle. Ultimately, it's remembered as the Formula One Grand Prix. This happened, not the Michelin. If you don't know what happened in America, but you kind of knew Formula One had had a bad, a bad event at the Indianapolis, then ultimately it's Formula One that takes the blame for it. And I think they'd have to do probably a hefty amount of PR, I would say, to kind of court some positive views and see how viable it is. I think the premise of alternating tracks in the calendar is something Formula One actually needs to look at doing more. I feel like 
they have such a rigid, <clears throat> they have such kind of a rigid system in that they'll have 21 calendars on the track and they'll continue in some way shape or form for several years but it then leaves not enough room for flexibility if you've got one year where you've added say for example three new cir street circuits in the past three years all right then how do we alternate to maybe make sure that we have more traditional circuits i think formula one needs to move away from that kind of strict setup to say if they have the multi-year deals there's multi-year deals to alternate especially i would say with america with the size of the country the population the love for racing there three having three grand prix there two of them in the same year could work quite well and i think tailor to those different markets of one ultimate needs so i'm with zach brown on this i think get indianapolis back on the calendar but they just need to make sure they market it properly because you are going to have people, especially now, hardcore Indy 500 fans that think F1 stepping on their turf again. So maybe a type of the Indy 500. I don't know. But overall, I would say I'd love to have it back on the calendar. Yeah, I personally would as well. And there was something that was being mentioned. I think Austin's uh, contract expires at the end of 2021, um, Michael. So does that open the door for Indy to maybe step in if, Austin's new contract decides to fall through? Well, there's always the opportunities for extension. We've seen that with Suzuka, of course. They've announced their extension. They could easily do the same with Austin. And uh, it is a good track, Austin. What Definitely a good design. Def very un-American track on American soil, definitely. And, uh, and it is quite liked by the people there, for sure. There's always the opportunity there. But uh, there's always... Uh, there's always that that black cloud looming over Indy for sure in 2005, and uh, I've seen races there the past few years, and the track is different. Where they've introduced uh, instead of uh, sort of like a U shaped in the infield, it's now just a chicane going into the back straight, and um, the two hairpins after the back straight are now just a simple chicane so the track has changed a bit since then and uh, there is now a chicane at uh, the famous turn 13 which caused all the problems there last year so the track would have been different to what it was in the in the noughties when they raced there for sure but i think f1 should focus more on getting the south Af the african race back on the calendar before they deal with like uh, double races or triple races in in america for sure because I think that's probably going to be more appreciative for the fans that are obviously in Africa. This this is a world championship, and they only race in like four of the con of the five or six continents. I'm not going to count Antarctica okay. in this. Yeah. Well, I think you've got a good point there, Michael. And and uh, Stefano de Michali once said, "We will have a, a a race in Africa within five years." He actually did say that. Yeah, he did because he he was um he did like a sort of a yes or no sort of game where he has like one racket that's yes and one side that says no. So when he's asked a question, he doesn't say anything. He just holds up yes or no in the in <laughs> in like that. But yeah, I, I think it I think it's inevitable that Africa will be hosting a race again. Most likely, it's going to be Kyle Army in South Africa. But one thing I think Formula One has got to be really careful about is staging races where people don't necessarily or the locals don't necessarily have the same appetite for motor racing or formula one as the likes of those in the us or the uk or the majority of europe do because otherwise it becomes a waste 
of an event to be on the Formula 1 calendar when you've got another event that could have been hosting it instead that has a better appetite for Formula 1. So unless they can explore the market and market the event properly, like what Hannah's just said there about Indianapolis, you know, if South Africa is going to be hosting the race in Kailami, it needs to market it well. Because when it hosted, when it came back on the calendar in 92, it only hosted an event for two years in a row and it just didn't come back ever since. So it's just, it's got to be not a, a one season wonder or a two season wonder. It's hosting races. It needs to be pretty much like a Miami deal. It's got to be hosting for the future of Formula One. That's what you've got to think. Or if it becomes like a, a circuit that's like a biennial event. Why not have a biennial event in Africa, you know, a Grand Prix every two years or something? I don't know. I don't, I'm not in Stefano Domenicali's shoes. I don't know what's been going on behind the scenes in terms of how the marketing side of it's going. I don't know. So we'll we'll have to wait and see um, on that one. Um, some other news that's going on involving one of the teams is at McLaren because a US-based GNL has agreed a £170 million deal to purchase the headquarters of McLaren. Um, the US-based global neat lease, otherwise known as GNL, has agreed a £170 million deal to purchase McLaren's Woken headquarters as part of a leaseback agreement. The deal includes all three buildings which house McLaren's automotive, racing and applied divisions. McLaren put the properties up for sale last year in a bid to raise much needed capital following multi-million pound losses, partly due to the COVID-19 pandemic, which impacted the sales of its supercars and cut income at its Formula One operation. The contract purchase price for the combined 840,000 square foot campus is 170 million pounds with a 20 year triple neat triple net lease which means McLaren will continue to operate out of the building and will be responsible for paying all expenses such as insurance taxes and maintenance we are excited to announce that this world-class facility will become part of the GNL portfolio commented James Nelson CEO of GNL the McLaren Group headquarters of state-of-the-art buildings have won numerous awards were designed by renowned architect Norman Foster and are the type of mission critical net lease properties that make up the GNL portfolio. We are very pleased to have been able to collaborate and work with the management team of the McLaren Group to effect this transaction. We look forward to the long-term partnership with McLaren and the benefits this transaction will have to GNL. The acquisition exemplifies GNL's ability to source large scale and accretive sale leaseback opportunities in a competitive marketplace that, that add significant value to our overall portfolio. We believe our global presence as a leading net lease REIT will continue to provide attractive acquisition opportunities that complement our best in-class portfolio. McLaren has been trying to raise much needed capital. Last year, it agreed a £150 million loan with Bahrain's National Bank. And earlier this year, it was announced that a US investment company would acquire a 15% stake in the F1 team for £185 million. So whilst McLaren are excelling off the track, a new deal is done, Nathan. Is that for the best of the future of McLaren? What was, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a very sensible uh, business decision from McLaren. You know, of course, with everything that's happened with the pandemic over the last year, the economic uh, position of most of the teams is quite precarious, apart from, of course, Mercedes and probably Ferrari and Red Bull. You know, the rest of the teams are are trying to raise money in whichever in whatever way that they that they can and selling off their headquarters for which they will then 
uh, lease back is a very sensible way to do it. Um, it means that, that they get uh, raw capital that they can invest in all of their businesses, in Formula One side, in applied technology, in uh, their sports car division. And uh, then uh, another company gets the financial revenue from uh, McLaren paying back money in rent. So yeah, very sensible business decision and hopefully it will secure the future of McLaren in Formula One and uh, allow them to develop in their sports car division and apply technology uh, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, Michael, if you remember, McLaren had to, um, I think they made redundant a lot of um, employees um, during the pandemic of last year. And this new deal can only be good news for them. I'm not an expert on like business deals, but uh, obviously a lot of businesses were badly affected by this. I mean, you had like small businesses, big businesses, football teams, even F1 teams are having to do some radical stuff in order to balance the books, certainly. And uh, this is McLaren's way of doing it, I guess. I'm not sure how this deal works because when I heard the news, I thought, are they moving away from, from walking? I don't know how it works. Are this GLN, are you saying, are they acting like, say, a landlord to uh, the McLaren Technology Centre? And the McLaren, basically, they're tenants? So. Um. You probably would need to have a look at it, but that's from what I've read. It's saying that deal includes all three buildings with which house McLaren's automotive racing and applied divisions. So I'm not sure exactly how it works because, you know, like yourself, I'm not a business person, but, you know, in terms of whether they're operating as landlords or something, um, that's something I would need to find out. But um, I can only think it's positive for McLaren and secure, help secure the future for them as well because of, um, you know, the as I've already mentioned, you know, the, the amount of staff that were made redundant during the first lockdown of last year was, it was very, very depressing for them. But now things seem to be on the up for them, um, as, you know, on the business side of things. Anyway, Hannah, your thoughts on the, on the deal? I think it can only be a positive for McLaren. It definitely does highlight, I think, the fragility of a lot of the team's finances. Even the likes, to be honest, of Mercedes and Ferrari, it was pretty much every major car maker took a hit during the pandemic. I think quite the only team that maybe actually probably came out not well, but less adversely impacted from the pandemic was actually Red Bull because of the nature of funding from the energy drinks company because all of the major supercar makers took some level of a hit. And overall, from what I can gather from the deal, they are, that essentially, yes, they are the tenant, but with the things like maintenance things that like gives them kind of a more see just in the right word but more advanced status in the sense that they are pretty much running the building not the new owners McLaren also be that I think that was the most common sense thing for them to do I could not have seen them getting around it in any other way if you look at the assets McLaren had they could have sold off part of the supercar division they could have sold off their technology or they could have sold off the Formula One team and I would much rather they've sold off the building to be honest because I think in this sense they're still getting to use those facilities yes they don't own them anymore but it means in, when the deal comes to an end they could buy them back they're not going to lose the use of the facilities unless they get kicked out in a long way down the line and overall they have to look at the future was they needed a quick way to get money in to keep the team going to keep the staff members employed because ultimately that was actually the most important thing was the to have just the workers, the men and women at McLaren 
if McLaren hadn't sold the building, couldn't get the funds in, you could have seen, in some circumstances, the team forced to be sold, more staff made redundant. So overall, I would say it's a good deal for McLaren. It's sad to see that they won't own the building anymore, but I don't think very much will change materially in the short term. Yeah. And, you know, and best of luck to McLaren because, you know, whilst they've got the, you know, what seems to be the future of their cars, obviously with the Mercedes engines as well, which will only help for their machine. And I think for the car business as well, because whilst, you know, you don't often see a McLaren on the road nowadays. I mean, I saw one during a Can't Pay We'll Take It Away episode <laughs> once upon a time, and Sean Nathan will remember that show very, very well. Um, but yeah, it's good for McLaren and it's, uh, it's wonderful to see and it's good news for them um, either way. Back to the Pochies Grand Prix this weekend, guys. Um, what can we expect from this weekend's race? Could we maybe see a surprise or two? Hannah, your thoughts? I think you've just muted there, uh, Hannah. <laughs> you may want to unmute yourself. I think overall we could see one or two surprises. I don't think it's going to necessarily be the greatest race in history, I think. Turns out, I think probably the best ones to look at is, like it is, we are going to have the Hamilton Verstappen battle again, the three call for this thing. I feel like that's going to be a running theme across every Grand Prix this year. Those two are going to be like a dog with the bone. They're not going to want to give up sharp position. I think it'll be very interesting to see how Lewis reacts after the turn one incident at Imola, especially in the press conference afterwards, because they clearly did not agree on whether there had been contact. So overall, I think those two were kind of dicing out the front. I think Perez will probably beat out Bottas. I just cannot see Bottas doing well this year. He's been, even for the crash in Imola, he was atrocious out there. And I think at Portsmouth, his Hamilton got the better of him once again. And I can see Verstappen doing the same to him. I think in terms of the surprise, I don't want to say Ferrari on the podium is a surprise. I feel like it would have been if I'd have said that last year, but they did look incredibly racy in Leclerc was fourth last year. I think Gasly could be a hot favourite because it depends how well he can get to grip with the Alpha Tower car. But overall, I can see Clara maybe being up there, but I'm going to go for one of the Ferraris making it on the podium instead of one of the Mercedes or Red Bulls. Michael, your views on Portimao this weekend, and you know, remember on the first lap of last year, down at Turn Four, Perez and Verstappen came together, didn't they? Well, Rebel, God, I hope that doesn't uh, repeat this time around with both of them as teammates. Uh, it can happen, uh, you know, when you're close together in the first lap, it could be accidental, certainly. But uh, I'm sure they want to avoid that. Everyone will be hoping for a clean start, definitely, but I doubt it because that first corner caused some controversy last year with uh, Lance Stroll twice, uh, and there could easily be incidents there once again. And uh, it's very fast, and going into the slow left hand right-hander rather the hairpin sort of area turn three I think it is and uh, but um, we've got like 20, 20 of the best drivers in the world and hopefully they'll keep it clean and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see and I think in terms of a surprise I think I'm not sure really but I'm going to say both Alfa Romeo and Williams get their first points of the year in that race, perhaps. That'll probably be my surprise. You know what? That really wouldn't surprise me because I think Alfa Romeo and Williams are 
very much in the realms of scoring points more regularly this year than they were last year. So I do back them to score this weekend. It's just, I think they need to have a little bit of luck, but they need to be strong on, in terms of single pace in qualifying if they're going to have any chance of scoring points. But anything can happen. It's a 66 lap race with two DRS zones. And it's one of the tracks where it's easier to overtake as well. Definitely easier than it was in um, at Imola anyway. Nathan, this weekend, um, <laughs> can you see your favourite driver, Fernando Alonso, excel this time? Oh, well, I think the Alpines have had a, a tough start to the season, but I, I agree with what you said earlier that they haven't shown their true pace yet. They're, they're still trying to understand the, the, this car. They're, they're still trying to understand what, what's going on with, with their car, especially their quite bulgy um, side pods uh, with, yeah, with the exhaust manifold. So, um, yeah, I think it, it will be a better weekend. They were slightly better in Imola. Both cars in the points, uh, admittedly a bit uh, fortuitously with Raikkonen's penalty um, after the race. But, you know, I, I, th I think we can ex expect them to be in and around the points paying positions again with the Alpine guys. I think uh, McLaren and Ferrari will still be faster, but if they can get ahead of the likes of uh, Alpha Tauri and Aston Martin, I'll be satisfied, I think. Predictions for this weekend, guys. Michael, we'll begin with you. Who do you think will get pole? Race winner, second and third. Um, and yeah, fastest lap maybe. We'll throw that in. I have no idea. I'm gonna say, I think it's gonna be one or the other between Hamilton and Button. I think it's gonna be one of those weekends where one of them will get pulled, the other will win the race. And I think I'm going to say that I think Hamilton might throw down the gauntlet and get Paul. He's very good. Uh, I think he's a better qualifier than Verstappen anyway. So, I, and I think. But I think Verstappen, with the speed of the Red Bull, it is. I think they'll win the race, and I think, I think someone in the midfield might go and take passes up. You know, we've seen drivers who've got like a big enough gap, so maybe like a Bottas or a Perez, who are like far away from, say, the McLarens and Ferraris pit in the last few laps, and then go for that fastest lap points and succeed. That seems to be par for the course when it comes to fastest lap points. So. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Bottas getting that uh, fastest lap point. Yeah, um, Nathan, your pole sitter in top three. I'm gonna go with uh, Max Verstappen to take pole position. Um, coming off the back of his win in Imola, he made a couple of mistakes, sloppy mistakes in qualifying in Imola. So I think he'll <laughs> he'll take pole um, and then be able to follow that up with the with the race victory um, if he has a clean start. Um, with Hamilton finishing second, and I think Perez will make it a Red Bull double podium in third. Yeah, Hannah, pole position and top three. I'm going to go with, I think Verstappen will take pole. If you look at last year in Portimao, I think it was three tenths off Hamilton in Q3 in the end. Overall, I feel like his qualifying's got a lot better. Yes, he had sloppy mistakes last time out, but I think that'll be something he'll be trying to focus on to kind of make amends for. And overall, I think the Red Bull's pace is that much quicker. And I would say in terms of the race, I'm going to go over Stappen wins. I don't think he'll lead all of the laps. I've got a feeling Hamilton could take the lead off him and Verstappen come back. And, and yeah, I'm going to go over Stappen wins, Hamilton second, and I'm going to go Charles Leclerc third because I think the Ferraris look that little bit better. But I will say Carlos Sainz could be an interesting factor because I think of all the drivers that did a switch 
um, this year. He seems the most comfortable with his car, and he was getting closer to Schalke last time out, so I keep an eye on Carlos Sainz as well. Very cool. I was very tempted to say Sergio Perez for pole, because I just think with him being so close to Verstappen at Imola, I've got a feeling he's going to pull something right out of the bag, but I just think on a circuit where Hamilton broke Michael Schumacher's Grand Prix winning record, I think he will get the 100, the 100th pole position. And I think by the tightest of margins, I think Lewis will win the race. Verstappen second and Perez third, but only just. And if there's a safety car in there, that could really change the pecking order, even if the McLarens and Ferraris get in there. If they get like on a, a better set of tyres than the leaders, they're right in the frame because of the DRS zones. So that's what I think. We'll leave it there, folks. Thank you to everyone who's tuned into this episode of Midspot Speak. Next week, Ed Spencer, Will Knight and Tom Febston will be with me to review the Portuguese Grand Prix at Portimao. From Nathan, Michael, Hannah and all of us at Motorsport Week, enjoy the racing this weekend and it's goodbye.